is Apostle Coletta Jones, pastor of the Rock Christian Church Ministries. And we're here again with you to give you words of encouragement as we're going through this difficult time right now. And it is a difficult time, even though people say, you know, in all things, give thanks. Some days you get up, depending on what the outcome of the day is, you really have to encourage yourself to give God praise. I just want to say to many of you, again, as you're looking, um, there's much going on. So many things that we don't have answers to. And many people are dying around us. Many are sick. Even now, it's coming more and closer to our doorsteps. It is emphatic that we as God's people really understand the power of praise and the power of thanking him. I, I mean, you don't have to be really a, a person that's emotional, but when you look around and you see all the devastation, all the death, all of the sickness, and you have at this point have a reasonable amount of health, of strength, you're able to still do some things of taking care of yourself, I encourage you, I implore you not to complain. And so today we want to talk about becoming a more loving person. I'm sure by this time being in the house, being limited in your gatherings, being limited to whom we can be around, and just being a part of a congregation of people where you're used to meeting and now you're not able to meet and we're doing everything virtually or by cell phone, by Zoom, in many uh, mediums of gathering other than face-to-face, -face, it's difficult. But under these circumstances, it's important that we become more loving to our families, to our neighbors, to people we don't even know, that we become more loving and less complaining. Uh, the scripture I want to go to today as we begin becoming a more loving person is a for, uh, Galatians 5, and we're going to read from the contemporary English version, beginning at verse 19. People desires make them give into the immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. They worship idols, practice witchcraft, hate others, and are hard to get along with. People become jealous, angry, and selfish. They not only argue and cause trouble, but they are envious. They get drunk, carry on at wild parties, and do other evil things as well. I told you before, and I am telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. God's spirit makes us loving, happy, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. There is no law against have behaving in any of these ways. And because we belong to Jesus Christ, we have killed our selfish feelings and desires. God's spirit has given us life. And so 
we should follow the spirit. But don't be conceited or make others jealous by claiming to be better than they are. This scripture, scripture is relevant to where we are right now. And we want to talk about love, but I just want to throw this out to you today. If you are a person, maybe you don't say even that you're a Christian, but you are someone that attends church or whatever the case may be, you might not even go to church. But if you got up this morning and this coronavirus has not touched your immediate family, but has touched someone else that you know, be thankful. Don't don't say just because I do this and that we're all standing under grace right now and we should be so thankful to God. We should give God just a little bit of worship to thank him. You don't have to have a whole lot of parade, but he still is worthy for you and I to give him thanks for us being alive and having a reasonable amount of health our minds being able to do for ourselves. And God, I promise you, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to thank you because despite everything, God is still good. Jesus Christ offered us the power we need to become what he wants us to be. The outgrowth of Christ's power is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a challenging list. It's challenging other than just right now, even for us as Christians to be able to allow the fruit of the spirit to operate in our lives requires much of us. This means uh, Galatians five seventeen says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. I said Galatians, but it's actually 2 Corinthians 5, 17 under the New Living Translations. If I'm, if I'm a child of God, I, I'm becoming new. I'm becoming new. I don't wake up and everything is new. I am becoming new. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A new life. You know, you say, well, I've been saved for, for five, for 10, 15 years. A new life is still evolving. You ought to look back at where you were when you first walked this walk and look at where you are now. You ought to see things that are happening in your life, uh, ways that you would normally act, things that you would normally do you gradually see yourself evolving to become that new person. Christians are branded new people on the inside. It's not what you do on outside. It's not what you don't wear. It's not how you don't wear makeup or you don't wear this or you do wear that or you do. Those things don't make you new. That's just a change of an outfit. That's just a change of your hair. That's just taking off or putting on. But God wants to work on the inside. And we, we've got to learn that. I don't care how holy you look in dress. It doesn't make you holy. Holy, the word holy only means set apart. It means that my focus and my life is, dev is devoted to obeying God. 
And so we are not reformed, rehabilitated, or reeducated. We are recreated. New creation means I'm recreated because I am now living in union with Christ. So I, I need to look at these things, where the power to change comes from and what we want to be after the change. Change doesn't come all at once. And I, 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 I really say this to you, even as children of God, I don't care how long you've been a child of God, you are constantly changing. You are never going to arrive until God calls you home because they're all every, every area of, of my life, every stage of my life, even as a, a young woman, a middle-aged woman, an older woman, every stage of my life, God is changing my thoughts, changing what I do, changing how I act. But when we're relying on God's power, not mine, we can and we will change. So today we're talking about becoming a more loving person. Love is the first fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. But the question is, what exactly is love? Love is probably the most misunderstood word in the world. We use the word love in so many different ways that it has lost its meaning. Giving or receiving love is difficult when you don't understand what it is. Most people think love is a feeling. True, love does produce feelings, but it is more than a feeling. How often do you rely on your feelings and let your feelings motivate you to do all kinds of things we might not normally do if we weren't feeling that way? Another misconception is that love is uncontrollable. I'm just so in love with you. I just, I just fell in love, fell in love, fell in love. I can't help it if I'm in love or I can't help myself. We talk as if love is uncontrollable, but the Bible says love is controllable. Jesus commanded, commanded. In, in, in other words, this is not optional. You and I don't have the choice of whether we want to do this. He commanded that we love others. His words indicate that we do have control over who we love and who we do not love. I make choices. You make choices. Love is at the core of two things. First, it is a matter of choice. The Bible says over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Colossians 3.14. Notice those two little words, put on, put on. Love is something that I choose to have. I choose to have love beyond just loving who loves me or giving to who gives me or extending myself beyond the norm. If it were a feeling, we could not command it, but we can command a choice and love is a choice. The Bible also says that love is a matter of conduct. 
Love is something we do. It's an action. It's not a feeling. First John 3:18 says this. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Too often we love with words, but not with actions. Listen here. I don't need someone to constantly tell me they love me and they love me and they love me and don't act like they love me. It's like the man who is abusive and he tells the, the woman, I said, man, it could be a man, it could be a woman that tells his partner, I love you. I love you so much. But then when I'm angry, I take out my frustrations or my anger on you. And then I tell you, if he, if you hadn't done what you did, uh, then I wouldn't have acted the way that I acted. No, that's not love. Love is an action word. If you love me, then I will know that you love me by how you treat me. Treatment goes along with love because that says to me, either you do or you don't. The, the word love, there, there are, the Greek speaks of four kinds of love. One is storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, and that's natural affection. Uh, it's just people that you have a good feeling about. Um, it's just someone that when you get around them, you, you just naturally like them, their personality, their outgoing. The next one, next one is ero, sexual attraction. And, and that's just many times for the moment, how, how we're, we're, in, we're engaging. And because of that, I'm, I just feel so overwhelmed because of the feeling that comes over me at that particular time. The next one is philia, which is emotional affection or friendship, how friends connect and how we feel about each other. You know, people who say, this is my best friend. This is a person that I count on. This is somebody that I depend on. And then the next one, and the one that's really true for those of us who are God's children is agape, which means unconditional giving. It didn't say unconditional taking, unconditional giving, and it is sacrificial love. When the Bible speaks of God's love for us, and the kind of love we are to have for him and for other people, the Bible is referring to the word agape, which signifies a commitment to act, a commitment. It's not something that I do if I feel like it. I'm committed to act, to show, to demonstrate. It is easy to love people who are kind and loving, but if God is going to teach us, you and me, how to love, he will bring some of the most unlovable people into our lives. The fact is, our lives are full of people, if we told the truth, that we don't like. We don't like the way they talk, the way they act, the way they dress, the way they respond. And especially being in an enclosed environment, look like everything they do is agitating. Everything they do makes me upset. Everything they say, when are we going to get out of here? I can't take no more of this. Every day I get up and I'm faced with them and they whine and they do this. This is a time as people of God 
that we allow God to show us how to be committed to love. We don't like the way they talk. We don't like how they do. But most of all, we tend not to like people who do not like us. Jesus never demanded that we have a warm affection for anyone. He did not have a warm emotions for the Pharisees. We don't have to like everybody, but we do not, but we do have to love them. So how do we do that? The Bible tells us there are five steps we need to take to learn to love an obnoxious relative, a troublesome neighbor, or a disagreeable coworker. How can you learn to love this kind of person? Here are the five steps. I was just thinking as I was going to move forward, even to the people that's working in our grocery stores and people that we come in contact with every day. I'm sure some of the dispositions and some of our responses are, are, are anger, but this is a time where love should be shown for everybody that we come in contact with because of the sacrifices that many are making. So number one, experience God's love. First, before we can love others, we must feel and understand how deeply God loves us. Ephesians 3, 17 through 18 says, I pray that Christ will be more at home in your heart, living within you as you trust him. May your roots go down deep in the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should. How long, how wide, how deep, how high is his love. And to experience this love for yourself. If you were able to, to get this, just keep in mind the words feel, understand, and experience. God wants us to feel his love and he wants us to understand his love. Why? First John four nineteen says that we love because God first loved us. Why is it important to feel loved by God? Because unloved people are often unloving people. When I don't feel genuinely loved, I do not feel like giving love. So first, we have to experience God's love ourselves. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. That's St. John 15, 21. It's important that I understand God loved me. You say, well, if God loved us, why is all of this going on? Life presents choices, and many of the choices that we as a race of people, we as the human race, have made, have produced this outcome that we are seeing now. It's not God's fault 
for some of the things we do. You know, even in your life, you look at your life and you say, well, if God loved me, why am I here? But look, look really deep into your life. And if you do, you will realize there are choices you have made in your life. There are situations that didn't come out the way that mother had told you, daddy had told you. You, you say, well, God, God sent you warning. God sent people to you to tell you, don't go there. Don't do this. Stay out of this. But because we didn't want to listen and obey, we made choices and the consequences of our choices have produced some of the heartaches we have experienced in life. That's what's happening now. We're living in a world where there's hatred and malice and jealousy. We're living in a world where we don't care for one another or one race think they're better than another race or we put down our race and we pick up somebody else's race. We have to understand that God so loved the world that was everybody. That was not just some folk. That was everybody. And the misnomer has been that one thinks I'm better or I'm closer to God than you. Those are things that keep us divided. So I got to know that God loved me just like I am. There's a scripture in Romans that said, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. The good part about it, God didn't wait till I got good to say, I loved you. He loved me when I was unlovable and loved me so much that he allowed someone to give me a word to know how much he loved me. And because I believe this word, I begin to feel the love. I begin to know he was concerned. How many times have you prayed this prayer? God, if, if you would just only do this for me, I promise you, I'm, I promise you, God, I'm, I'm going to live right. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do what my parents tell me. I'm not going to do this. And God blessed you with what you asked him to. And you didn't keep your promise. Don't you think God knew that? But because he loved you and wanted you to know the realness of God and how much he loves you, even though you didn't keep your promise, God kept his. The second one is I forgot to forgive my enemy. The second step is learning to love others is forgiving those who have hurt me. Colossians 3.13 says forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It is impossible to love anyone fully and at the same time resent someone else. I cannot really love my spouse if I am still angry with my family. You cannot give total love when your heart is divided. And a bitter heart is a divided heart. We must let go of the past to get on with the present. To begin loving people today, we must close the door of the past. And that cannot happen without forgiveness. Forgive those who have hurt you for your sake, not because they deserve it. Do it so your heart can be whole again. The people from your past cannot continue to hurt you today unless you allow them to hurt you by holding on to resentment against them. Let me just stop and just make that a little clearer. I, I, I have one heart 
and I can't love like God wants me to unless it is all encompassing. And if I'm, I hate or resent or am angry and mad, I, I, I can't have half of my heart go to hate, resentment, madness, and the other half love. It's just not going to work because the darkness will overtake the light. And so the only way I'm able to, to do like I'm supposed to, I've got to release it, let it go. Not for their sake, not because they're going to apologize, not because they're going to say I was wrong, but you're releasing it because you understand for years or for months or for days, it has had power over you. And the only way for you to be able to go forward and be the person that God ordained you to be, you have to let it go. You have to release it. You have to say, I'm, I'm just going to let it go. Whether they ever come back to me, whether they ever acknowledge, whether they, they ever say they did anything wrong, because let me tell you, there will be people that will never admit that they did anything wrong, but that has to become between them and God. You come to a place that you can walk away and say, for me and my house, it's over. The third one is I've got to begin to think loving thoughts. The next step in learning to love others, God's word reminds us, don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they are doing. That's found in Philippians 2, 4, 5 from the Living Bible. What does it mean to think loving thought? It means we begin to focus on other per people's needs, hurts, problems, and desires. Not just my own. This is a time where we cannot be selfish about our own. I think I said a few weeks ago in a message, you, you, you've got to look at other people, your neighbors, your family. You say, well, my, my family doesn't love me. That, if you're the child of God, if you're the person that's reaching out to God, it's not about what they do for you. It's what you do because it's your freedom. You've got to reach out to them and you've got to let all of the past that's called that's in the forgiveness. I've got to release it and I've got to let it go. So I can't keep focusing on their what they haven't done, what they should do, what I want them to do. I've got to say this is my family. This is a time now I want to be loving and kind. I'm going to reach out, find out how they're doing. If they're in the house by themselves, I'm just going to take a few minutes. I'm going to call, see how they're doing, how their children are doing. Is everything okay? Do they need anything? You might say to yourself, I don't have a whole lot, but what I have, I'm going to be willing to, sh to share. Then we can learn to love. The people we would rather ignore are the very ones we desperately need to show a lot of love. Everybody needs love. Our thoughts determine our emotions. When we change the way we think about someone, we will gradually change our feelings about the person. I'm telling you, it works. Stop, stop sitting in the house. Stop sitting wherever you are and all you think about is what they don't do, what they haven't said, what they should do, because that brings you down. Start thinking about positive things. You say, well, I, they haven't done anything for me to think positive. I beg to differ. 
There's some good in everybody. You can find something good to think on. That's what Philippians says. Think on those things that are good, uplifting. Think on those things that will bring a good report. You've got to bring your mind in and not negatively sit up all day thinking about what folk have done to you. Instead of thinking about a person's fault, we begin to think about their needs and it will change the way you feel. Number four, act in love. The fourth step is learning to love others is to act in loving or act in a loving way. You say, pastor, you're telling me to act lovingly towards someone I don't even like. I couldn't do that because I would be a hypocrite. No, that is called loving by putting your faith and confidence in the power of God's word. It doesn't take anything. You know, I've walked into rooms and I said, well, how's everybody doing? And they would give me their negative and everybody's I'm doing, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then I would say, Oh, come on. We're having a great day. You can change the atmosphere with a pleasant word. You can change how everybody is feeling by you going in being pleasant. Good morning. How are you? Call your children. How is the day? Text your children. If you can't call them, have a wonderful day. Keep your mind uplifted. Everything is going to be all right. Acting in love. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Listen, we've been in the house all of these weeks. I'm praying that your house detention has caused you to start changing the way you think that when you went in the house, for whatever reason, all of your upsets, all of the things that you thought could not happen, all of your wonderings, how were you going to make it? If you're in these weeks and you're still here, I pray that you'll change the way you think and think about what a powerful God that has kept you all of these weeks. This says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. First Corinthians 13, seven says this love never gives up, never loses faith is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. First Corinthians 14, one says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities. The spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Let love be your highest goal. Let, let you aspiring to be more loving, aspiring to love on folk, to show folk you care, to reach out of your comfort zone, to reach out of just it being about you and yours. To th you know, when you see the doctors and see those nurses and people talk about how tired they are, but they can't stay home, that's love. 
When you see, hear them saying, I'm at risk myself. I'm at risk of taking this virus to my family. I, that's love. That's going outside of themselves. You say, well, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. But there is something we can do. There is a way that we can move out of our comfort zone, that it can be just not about me and mine. There's something we can do to reach out, to help maybe a person that have lost their job, that's not working. Order something. Do something outside yourself even as the body of Christ, that we might be a blessing to somebody else. Let love be the highest goal. Not only do our actions influence our emotions, but our thinking also influences the way we feel. I, I have a little chart here. that says how you think, how you feel is how you act, how you think. So if you sit up all day, thinking negative, if you're sitting up all day fearful, if you're sitting up all day thinking about what ain't happening, what couldn't happen, you just here in the house, I didn't lost my job, I don't know how I'm going to do this, I'm going to know how to, I'm going to do that, then it causes you to act frustrated, act upset, being upset. And as a point, that's the spirit in the house. What God is trying to do in these series of messages is lift your spirit. I am the Lord, your shepherd. I have everything you need. You said, but I haven't trusted God like that. That's the reason why he has me right now telling you the Lord is, the Lord is not. He was not. He got the Lord is my shepherd. All right. So you cannot change your feelings, but you can change indirectly by changing your thoughts. How do we act in a loving way? Jesus gives us some help in Luke 6, 27, 28. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He commands us to do four specific things. First, Jesus tells us, love your enemies. Now, that means you're going to need Jesus to help you to do that. Because there are people that have set out right now, even now, even in their frustration, even in them being upset, even in what's going on, they still have not forgotten that sometimes other people feel too. And so they, they talk to you or do things in certain ways. But God is saying here, I want you to love your enemies. So how do you love someone is hurting you? We must overlook their fault. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, you said, I, I can't do that. that. That's the only way you're going to do it. You can't sit up all day and think about what they haven't done. You can't sit up all day and think about what they've done to you. You've got to outlook, overlook, not look at their faults. He says, be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's fault because of your love. Listen, I'm, I've been married to my husband for 50 some years and I know I got faults and he got faults. But during this time of us being here in the house together, all of these weeks, we've not said one crossword. It's been a time for us not to point out what we're not doing, not to look at, well, he's downstairs looking at the TV. He ought to be up here with me. We ought to be doing this. We ought to be doing that. 
Think about the pleasantries. Think about even if your children haven't been there for you all the time. If they're there now, if they're calling you, if they're concerned about you, get in the moment. Think about the pleasantries. Think about things that's going to build you up and lift you up. Second, Jesus commands us to do good. So how do you do good to people that you don't even like? We look for ways to give to them. What can we do to serve them, meet their needs, help them, benefit them? These are all things that, that are relevant to this time. We, we need to look and see, well, maybe my neighbor, I, we haven't spoke. I don't know much of her. She doesn't know much of me. Well, let me just do something pleasant. Maybe if I'm going to the store, I can text. I'm going to the store. You want me to pick up something for you? Any little deed that can break the ice. Because I'm going to tell you something, maybe you don't know, and maybe you do. We do need each other. We're not going to get through this. I, yes, I'm in my house and you're in your house, but we still need each other to get through this. We need each other. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be supportive of each other. What can we do to serve? What can I do to meet your need? How can I help you? How can I benefit you? We can give. We can go to second mile. We can offer practical help. We can do them a favor. We can discover their needs and respond to them. Third, Jesus also said to bless those who curse you. <laughs> what does that mean? He is referring to the way we talk about and talk to those who treat us badly. A blessing is a positive word spoken to or about others. So if you are upset with them, don't let that be the daily telephone conversation. Say something good. You know, one of the biggest things where you know you're growing is when you have the desire to talk about people and you just refuse to do that. That's when we are allowing God to take over. I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm not going to talk about Aunt Jane. I'm not going to talk about Uncle uh, Smith. I'm going to say pleasant things. If it's not something good, because this is my family, bad, good, or in this is my family. I, I didn't choose them. God put us together. He knew what he was doing. This is my family. Proverbs 18:28 says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. And finally, Jesus commands us to pray for those who mistreat us. Praying for people will not only change them, but it will change us. So how should we pray? We pray that God will bless people who are mistreating us, not kill them, not get rid of them, bless them. God, you do good by them because I want you to do good by me. God wants that because we pray that God will bless people because the goodness of God leads to repentance and praying for them will change their attitude towards us. So what this means is love is an action. First Corinthians 13 says that love is patient, kind, and much more. 15 actions are listed in verses, uh, first Corinthians 13, verse four through eight. When we are lovingly, when we are patient or gentle or kind, when we are displaying the fruit of the spirit, love is not simply the first fruit mentioned. It is actually the fruit. You know, I hear people saying uh, the, the, the fruits, fruits of the spirit. No, it's their fruit. 
one thing. It's like an apple. And it's like you taking that apple and cutting it up in pieces. But it is the fruit. And so if you don't have love, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. You're not going to have kindness. You're not going to have uh, goodness. You're not going to have long suffering. You're not going to have any of that because the fruit is love. The fruit is love. First, you must understand that God loves you. Then you can begin to feel it, not just in your heart. Next, to free yourself of the past so that you can love today, you forgive those who have hurt you. You then start thinking loving thoughts and acting in loving ways and loving feelings will start to come. Number five, expect the best. The last step in learning to love others may in some way be the most difficult. Expect the best even those you don't like. 1 Corinthians 13 and 7 in the Living Bible says, if you love someone, you will always believe in him. Always expect the best of him. Love expects the best. When we expect the best, we bring out the best. This is loving by faith and loving by faith is the greatest force in the world. And I'm telling you, we need it now. We need to reach out. We need to be praying. We need to be concerned about what's happening, not just in my circle, but in other circles. And even in people you don't know, you can pray for them. Love is contagious and it changes people. It can transform a personality. Treat that person the way you want him or her to become. Treat them like you genuinely believe in them. Love expects the best. And I just want to put a pen there. You can't expect the best and talk about the worst. Expecting the best is that whatever I say about you, is going to be something uplifting, something kind. And if I can't say anything good, guess what? I'm not going to say anything at all because I'm developing a love relationship with you. Experience God's resurrection power. You may be thinking I am stuck in a marriage relationship that is dead or dying. There's just so no sparks left. We, we, we're here in the house. We got to stay here. I, I, I wish he would leave. I wish he would leave. I'm so tired of being in here with them. <laughs> but once there was love and now it's gone. Once there were feelings, but now they're gone. So what do you do about that? Do you end it? No, you ask God to resurrect your feeling. Kind of remember what it was like when you were walking that love walk. So how can he do that? You can revive those feelings if you choose to have them. You cannot force a feeling. You cannot force the spark back into a relationship. But you can attack the problem indirectly by thinking and acting loving. Come out of your room. Go to the person. How are you today? We haven't talked. What can I fix for you? What can I do for you? Go outside yourself. Some of you have husbands that don't go to church, don't attend church. 
and you've come home, you in your own little world, and you talking to the sisters and the brothers on the phone, you got your Bible open all the time, you quote and telling that person what the Lord said, you know the word of God said, you need to get saved, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm saying to you today, be quiet. Let your love actions be the thing that they hear. Fix a good dinner. Sit down with them. Start talking. Change you. And in changing you, you change the atmosphere. And in changing the atmosphere during this time of stay in place, you will remember it as a time when God reactivated your relationship and your love. You can revive it, but you got to decide to. You got to kill your your own feelings. You got to let those negative thoughts be gone. You got to say, I'm not dwelling on this all day. I'm not sitting on here and saying, I wish he would go out or I wish he would just leave or I'm, I'm tired of this marriage or we stuck here together. All of those negative feelings produce negative thoughts. Negative thoughts produce negative actions. So God is saying, while this time is going on, I want to mend some things. I want to reactivate some love and I want my children to be the catalyst that I use to do this. Christ I spoke to the church at Ephesus about a love they had lost, their love for God. That love had become dry as they went through the motion of their commitment to him. Jesus told them to take three steps to rekindle that love. These steps may also be powerfully applied to rekindle any failed relationship. Number one, first step, remember, rekindling love starts with thinking about how you used to love your mate. Remember the happy times. Recall the qualities that first captured your heart. Choose to remember the happy experiences that you shared. Go pull out the books that show the pictures of the trips you went to and how you used to laugh and how you used to enjoy each other. Rekindling, recalling the good times and, and, and leaving away from the negative times because those are easy to remember. It's easy to remember what didn't happen, how, how bad you remember when he did this, that, and the other. But at some point in time, you got to let it go. Be uh, you got to choose to focus on the good and then it will change the atmosphere in the house. It will change you. It will change the other person. The second step, repent. The word repent means to change your mind, to change the way you think. When Jesus calls you to repent, he is calling you to change the way you think about the person you have lost your love for. A, stop fantasizing about what might have been. Stop it. Sitting up thinking about negative. Some of it is not always good. What would have happened if we had gotten that divorce? What would have happened if we had separated? What would have happened? this, that, and the other. Stop fantasizing. B, stop daydreaming about what life might be like if you were married to someone else. Let me tell you something. You never know how that would have turned out. And I can almost guarantee you it wouldn't be what you're fantasizing in your heart. C, stop thinking about what life might look like if your mate was different or had done that 
differently or had done this differently. And then D, stop torturing yourself about what ifs because you are talking yourself into unhappy feelings. The more you think about what if I had, what if he had, what if we had, you're building those unhappy feelings. E, stop fantasizing and start thinking positive, truthful thoughts. The kind described in 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you just need to pull out 1 Corinthians 13 and sit down and read it. If you want to rebuild a love in your life, meditate on it. Don't, don't just read it. You know, David said, I meditated on your word night and day. Meditate on it because it will do you good. And, it, and then once you meditate, just don't meditate and quote it. Then, then get up and act on love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long suffering. I like the, that part because I used to have to underline that because I said, God, I ain't here yet. It would say love takes no um, takes no thought of the number of times it's been done wrong. I, I would just have to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm not there. Love thinks about, it doesn't sit up and keep thinking about, they did this to me. They did that to me. They, that's not love. That's judgment. Love doesn't think about it. It doesn't take into account. Listen here. In one scripture, he says, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive. It's second, uh, it's Matthew's 22. And it talks about, um, about loving, about being kind and, and how we get our prayers through. And then he says, uh, you can speak to your mountain, tell your mountain to move. And then he says, but if you haven't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Listen, come on. You got to get past it. You got to let life resume back. And it starts in your mind. Then the third step, love takes action. You have to work at loving your mate. Do the things you did as when you first was dating and, and courting. Stop fantasizing about greener grass somewhere else. The grass is greener wherever you water it. You will rekindle those lost feelings no matter how long it has been since you last felt them. Because love works. It really works. If you have to the desire to resurrect a dying love, I challenge you today to first commit yourself totally to Jesus Christ. There's very little hope for any marriage that is not based on first a commitment to Jesus Christ. Human love is not strong enough to weather the storm of life. Human love dries up. But a gappy God's love never gives up. The root of your problem is spiritual, not emotional or relational. Your relationship with God affects your relationship with your spouse or anyone else. When you are not right with God, you are not going to be right with other people. Each affects the other. Starting the starting point is to correct your vertical relationship to God and then your horizontal relationship with others will be easier to correct. The Holy Spirit can fill you with new reservoirs of love you never thought were possible within yourself. 
You need God's love and power. So in order to get that, commit your life unreservingly to Jesus Christ. The second challenge is to commit yourself totally to your mate, regardless of faults and flaws. Don't fall into the I would love you if syndrome. I'd love you if you would do this or that for me. That is conditional love. God's love is the kind that says, I love you, period. I love you, unconditional. God's love goes even further. I love you in spite of, in spite of all your imperfections. I love you in spite of your problems. I love you. That is a gappy love, the kind of love that makes a difference. I'm hoping today that you've decided I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me. I'm going to take to heart what I heard today. And I'm going to ask God to really come. I'm surrendering. I'm giving up. I'm allowing you, God, to change me. As you change me and I walk in your love and demonstrate your love and allow your love to be part of my everyday walk, I'm going to see life in a different way. Let us all pray today. Father, we just thank you. First, we come and we ask for your help. We ask that you will help us first to see ourselves, see our shortcomings, and to help us to learn how to allow you to teach us to not just have love that is sometime, love that is on and off. Love is based on how someone treat me. But teach me how to love a gappy love, action love, love that you did for me. I ask you to do it in me. I thank you today, God, for hearing this prayer, for doing it for me. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we do pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Let the love of God surround you today. You be a catalyst that he uses today to bless someone else. God bless you.